This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is August 10th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Name is Scott Mason. I was at Hofstra Radio from the year 2000 to the year 2000, uh, 2002. Okay. And what shows or programs did you work on while you were at the station? I worked on the Rock and Roll Oasis. And that's it? Just just, just worked on the on the rock show? Any news programs, sports, anything like that? No, just the rock show. I was the uh, associate producer and then the producer for the show. When you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or personas, or did you just use your own name? No, I just used my own name. Thankfully, I was born with a name that was built for radio. <laughs> yep, yep, there you go. Um, okay, uh, I've got a two-part question here, and you can answer however it makes sense to you. But the first part of it is, what brought you to the station? And then if you could describe the station uh, as it was when you got there, maybe people that you met or what it looked like or what it smelled like, what was going on when you started at Hofstra Radio? So I first came to the station because I'd always wanted to do radio. I did it in high school, and it was something I wanted to make a career out of. When I was a little kid, I used to listen all the time to various radio stations. Scott Muni from WNEW was a guy that was a big inspiration to me. He even had my same first name and initials. So that was cool. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to do radio when I went to college and continue what I had done in high school. And so when I transferred to Hofstra, I went to WRHU and it was a little bit of a shell shock because Getting into the second part of the question, what it was like when I got there, I wasn't expecting to see such a, I guess you would say, professional-looking operation for a college station. They had all this state-of-the-art equipment, offices, a general manager, an operations manager, all these people around. It, it was really a, a, a big deal. And I walked in there thinking it was sort of going to be like my high school station, where I just said I wanted to sign up and then do a training session or two and then you go on the air but that wasn't how it was at Hofstra at WRHU there was so many layers to it that I wasn't expecting Bruce Avery the general manager at the time was I remember I think I was like 10 or 15 minutes late for my initial uh, re, uh, I think it was the interview or whatever it was they called it and I wasn't expecting it to be a big deal but he made me wait for like two hours he said you, this is a job interview. You, you were late for a job interview. So now we have other interviews to do. If you want to stay around, maybe we can get to you later. Otherwise, so I stuck around and uh, ended up going in the room with them. And then I ended up on the station. But yeah, that those were things that I wasn't expecting. It was it was much different than I thought it would be. Hmm. Um, where did you um, do radio in high school? What was that situation like? I did radio at WKWZ in Syosset. I did a sports show, and I also produced the Daily Sports Update. We shared the frequency with WPO, I think it's POB in Plainview. Mm -hmm. uh, they would have it during the day, and we would have it after school. So for us, it was like an after-school club. For them, it was a class. And actually, I believe Judd Apatow at one point was on that station. And I know that on WPOB, um, MJF, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, who is currently the AEW heavyweight champion on national television, he at one point was on POB. So we've had some famous people uh, go in and out of there 
but it was, it was a fun experience and especially to be a high school kid and get an opportunity to crack the mic and to talk about sports and get my opinions out there. And to be honest, at that point, I was probably parroting whoever my favorite WFAN guy was when I was doing sports because mm-hmm. that's sort of what you do when you're a kid and you don't really know what you're doing and you're kind of trying to find your own voice. So that that's what, what that was in high school. And then obviously going to WRG was the next evolution of that. So when you got to Hofstra Radio, or at least before that interview, did you think, well, I've done this already. I'm just going to walk in and get a show. What were your expectations uh, for getting involved with WR2? Yeah, I did sort of think that to a degree. I, I don't want to say that I was being arrogant about it, but to an extent, I thought, well, I've already done this for a few years in high school. A lot of the people that are going to be here probably haven't done anything, haven't touched any equipment. I had Obviously, I had board opt. I had use the equipment. I knew how to do all of that. So the initial training sessions and, and such, I thought were, uh, to me, oh, I don't need to really worry about this so much because I've done a bunch of these things. So that was sort of my expectation that I would come in, do whatever the training. And, and honestly, I didn't expect it to be as thorough as it was the training. The training was kind of wild. Uh, they make you sit for all these observation sessions before you can even attempt to touch anything. And I thought for me, it was crazy because I had already done several years of using the equipment, but they really, no matter who you are, they take that very seriously. So that was, uh, that was definitely a little bit different than what I was expecting. But uh, eventually I did end up obviously getting my own show and going on the air at WRHU, but it was a a little bit of a different journey to that than I thought it was going to be. Hmm. So, um, between the, the, the interview and, and the famous Bruce Avery speech at the beginning of the training class, um, this, this was, how I, how do I want to phrase it? Were you kind of turned off by the experience or were you so into doing radio that like, whatever, I'll, I'll get through this because I want to do this so much. I think it was a little bit of both. Like the stuff with Bruce, to be honest, and uh, I guess we'll talk about this when we do future chapters, as you were telling me with the project. But Bruce, when I first got there, he can be a very, I don't know how to put this, because by when I saw the last time I saw Bruce, he had been, he was so much different. He was mellow and I really liked him. And I, I even joked with him. I said, Bruce, I wish you hadn't. You had been more relaxed like this when I was here uh, initially, but I think Bruce being so tightly wound and so uh, I think he, what did he call it? A mock corporate environment is what he used to call it. Uh, Having Mm. that was a little jarring for a college kid who's just trying to go on the air, have fun and sort of find his voice and continue his path in the broadcasting industry. So that was a little bit of a turnoff to me. But as you said, it wasn't enough of a turnoff to stop me from continuing to do it because I knew radio was something that I really loved. It was something I really wanted to do. It was something I was passionate about to the point where I wanted to make a career out of it. So I wasn't going to let it deter me, but it definitely was uh, a little bit, like you said, of a turnoff the way that that things Mm. were at the time. And look, that doesn't mean it was bad because remember, I'm a kid at the time. I'm a teenager So, of course, you know, you come in there, you're looking to have fun and just talk on the air. And here's this guy in a suit with all these rules and regulations and such. So that's going to be a little bit different than what your ideal was. 
so I'm not trying to say that what Bruce was doing was bad. It was just, like you said, it was a bit of a, a turnoff and, and not particularly what I was hoping for at that particular point in time. Hmm. Um, but you endured, you stuck with it, you did the, the training class. And as you said, some of it you had experience with. Was there anything that you learned in the announcing or engineering class that stuck with you or seemed like good advice or, or maybe taking you to the next level? Nothing stands out to me as in, in, in my head here. Uh, I will say it was, it was a little bit interesting having to play vinyl. I remember learning that and that was kind of cool. Um, but I don't remember learning anything in the training class that I, at least nothing that stands out to me that I, I didn't mostly know before. Hmm. Um, do you remember getting on the air the first time at WRHU? Yeah, I remember I was doing 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. because at the time they had, I think it was called the Nightlight or something like that. And basically, if you were new, if you wanted a regular spot, because they had so many people, they would alternate. So you'd be on like every other Wednesday or whatever day it was. I, I can't recall. Uh that they would usually put you in. And I forget what the actual Oasis slot was at the time, like what time of the day you were on. But I remember they gave me the 1A to 3A and I actually liked it a lot because I was a night owl. So I got to do two hours of whatever it is I wanted. And I just had a lot of fun. I remember the first time I went on, I was playing a lot of vinyl. Uh, I'm a bit of a music nerd, classic rock especially. So I was going in, finding all the vinyl and playing a lot of cool deep cuts that you would never really hear on the radio. So I remember doing that. And I do remember getting home at like three 30 in the morning from those and then having class the next morning at 10 AM or mm -hmm. whatever it was, but I still love doing it because really talking about music, playing music, that, those are two things that I've always enjoyed. And so to be able to finally have that freedom to do it. And really the only restriction was other than the obvious of don't curse and all that was, I couldn't play singles, which is fine because I didn't want to play singles. The singles were the ones that I had been listening to on the radio forever. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to play songs that I enjoyed that maybe other people didn't know. And I could share my love of those songs with them and tell stories about those songs. So I remember starting to do that. And that was uh, my first experience. And again, that was at like 1 a.m. But again, but again, I enjoyed being on at 1 a.m. I thought it was cool. Mm, mm, that's a lot of fun. Um, I like that. So just again, to continue the, the comparison between your high school experience and your experience at Hofstra, were, were you nervous at all in either case? Were you just excited? Was What was the your thought process in, in getting behind the mic either in high school or in college? Honestly, I don't recall ever really being nervous. The only time I was like a little bit jittery as if I had an interview because I knew I had to prepare and make sure that I had the information that I needed, whether that was when a band came in and I would have them on live and I'd be talking to them and asking questions and all that. Or if I had a, uh, when I was in high school, we would do uh, sports and I did a wrestling show too, and we would have guests on. So I would have to do some research and that was the jittery part. But once I opened the mic, I really, there was nothing I was ever really nervous about because the way I looked at it was I was somebody that was always comfortable talking. So all I was doing was talking. It's just that there was a microphone in front of my face instead of a person. And that was something that you learn as you go 
long in the radio business, uh, I remember sitting with a program director and he, he had a, a picture of, I forget, it was some generic stock photo and he just put it up on the wall and he said, this is Joe. You're talking to Joe. Joe likes this band. He's a fan of the Jets. He likes the Knicks, whatever. You're talking to him. You're not talking to a bunch of people. You're hanging out in the basement and you're talking to your friend Joe. And that's really kind of how I always approached it. Even before I was told that, I never really thought of it that way when I was on WRHU, but that's sort of the way I approached it was I'm just talking to somebody who is a friend of mine and they like music. I like music. So I'm telling them a story that I know kind of the same way that I would do with uh, anybody in a, in a real life situation. So I was never really nervous about that because I, I sort of was always comfortable talking. Hmm. Um, so I, I guess the, the next question I usually ask is, you know, when did you feel comfortable being on the air at the station? Uh, when did you feel like you knew what you were kind of doing? And is it fair to say you felt comfortable pretty early on? Yeah, I would say so. I think I felt pretty comfortable very early on, uh, especially being on the overnights where I knew it's not like I was going to get a phone call from Bruce or something yelling at me for doing something wrong because unless something crazy was happening, I didn't think he was going to be up at two o'clock in the morning or whatever it was when I would have played a song. So the pressure was off from that aspect, being on late when I first started. And then, like I said, I was always comfortable talking and I had done it for a couple of years in high school. So it wasn't anything that really phased me. I think I, I sort of was able to catch on to it fairly quickly. Hmm. Um, so another angle, when did you feel like you fit in at the station socially? Were you able to find a group of friends that you like to hang out with? When were you, when did you realize, yeah, this is, this is the environment I'm going to hang out in? Yeah, that took a little while only because it's not because I'm like shy or aloof or anything like that. It's just that I had so much going on. I was bouncing all over the place that I didn't really have time to get to know a lot of the people. But I think what happened is the more that I got involved in the station, the more that I started to, you know, I got along with the sports guys very well because I'm a big sports fan. So that was that was easy. To this day, there's a couple of the sports guys that I still talk to. Um, Brian McGoolahan, who was the rock director at the time, I guess he saw how much I liked music and how much I liked radio, and he eventually approached me about being his, uh, I guess you'd say, understudy or uh, apprentice, I think was the term they used. Um, mm -hmm. Somebody who would eventually take his spot uh, as the rock producer. And so I became friendly with him. And then once I became the rock producer, then I started to be at the station a lot more out of necessity. So I got to know the program director, the music director, some of the other producers. And that's sort of when I started to become, uh, you know, more regular friends with a lot of the people at the station. So I think the more I was around, the more that, it, you know, I sort of warmed up to the people that were there. But that's kind of, I think, the way that life works in general, right? Like the more you're around mm -hmm. something, the more you're around people, the more you kind of take to them. And so I think that's kind of what happened with me. And, and the more that I started to hang around, the more that I started to become friends with uh, a lot of the different people that were also hanging around a lot. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously varying degrees of how people get into the station. And some people show up and they announce, I'm here, and they're instantly, <laughs> you know, the center of attention. And then there are other people who they gravitate towards the sports department or the news department or one of the music programs or they're into the, the technical aspect. And as you spend more and more time uh, working on those things, you realize that you're spending more time there socially and you're there between classes and you're staying there late at night and uh, it becomes sort of the center of your social world. Is that is that kind of what happened with you that that over time you realized, yeah, I'm, I'm here and these are my friends? Uh, yes and no. I still had my own friends outside of there. So, uh, and sometimes that mixed, I would bring a friend, you know, a couple of friends of mine and, you know, if the radio station people are going to karaoke or something. They might come with me. But I think it was sort of a mixture. I did have a, a core group of friends that were around a lot at the station. And so that, and, and again, I had sp- I was spending a lot of time there. So that became part of the social circle, but then I still had, friends from other different things that I was doing. So I, I would say to an extent, yeah, uh, it didn't like take over my, my, mm-hmm. um, my life in terms of like who my friends were, but it, it definitely was a big part of that. Hmm. Um, earlier you mentioned doing an apprentice, uh, um, type deal, or you were associate producer of the rock and roll Oasis. Could you talk a little bit about what that was and what you learned? Yeah. So, the rock and roll oasis was the rock show and it was basically you know, anything in the rock genre. And the big, the big thing was we weren't playing singles. I don't know if that's still the rule now at WRHU, but that was what it was at the time. And I, I was very into music. I was the type of guy that like, I was never a big drinker or party or anything like that. But what I would like to do is I would buy an album and I would read through the liner notes. I would read Mm -hmm. old album Mm -hmm. reviews. I used to read books about a lot of these artists and come up with different factoids. There's a guy who to this day, I'm actually fairly friendly with now. He's a DJ upstate. And I remember listening to him uh, when I would have the radio on in the afternoon. And I, I always liked what he did because he always had constant uh, bullet points of information, little tidbits that I didn't know about a band, a song, something like that. So I kind of enjoyed doing things like that. And so um, Brian McGoolahan was the producer at the time. I guess he saw that and he at some point approached me and asked if I, you know, I might be interested in being his apprentice. And I said, yeah, sure. And so he started teaching me how the producer thing works and essentially you would get you would get records you would listen to them you would see which ones would fit the format you would have recommended tracks so obviously anybody could play whatever they wanted off the record unless there was a song that had curses or it was a single but the producer would listen and be like here are the songs that i personally think are good and you might want to check out and then it was up to the individual on-air person what they wanted to play and then it was a matter of maintaining the archives and keeping in contact with the record labels and giveaways and, and um, talking to the music director and, and all of that stuff and just making sure that everything got done for that particular show that needed to get done. So it was a, it was a good learning process because I'd never really been involved to, to that degree before with uh, record labels and, and um, having to interact with them and, and such and being able to um, work with them on uh, album releases and giveaways and everything like that. 
So that, that was a big part of what I learned. And it was, I had um, been the sports director when I was in high school. So I had had to, I guess, sort of manage other people that were doing sports shows. And I had to do that with the rock show. I had to balance the schedule and all that stuff. So that was nothing new, but it was still different because now I had more people and they were older and more mature and you had to balance their different interests and which times they were available and all that. Uh, So yeah, it was a really cool learning experience for sure. Mm, cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to ask more of a little technical, practical, everyday kind of thing. Um, you know, back in the day when when I was doing a rock show or an airwave show, whatever it might have been, in the basement of Memorial Hall, we had the majority of our records and CDs in the on-air studio. And I wasn't sure what that was like and how much you guys were using in terms of the old vinyl that was uh, still around or CDs. Like what what was the like the physical foot footprint of the rock and roll oasis at the time? So it was sort of a matter of what it was that you wanted to do. So for me, I played almost all vinyl because most mm. of the stuff that I liked, I would love to dig back in the archive. And there were certain bands and albums that we had that. I wanted to play. And so if you ever listen to the show that I did, the vast majority of the time, it was vinyl that I was playing. And I, there were new releases that, you know, we had to play because if a record company sent us a, a CD and we agreed to play it, you'd have to play it once a shift or whatever it was. Right. And so I had a couple of those, but for the most part, other than that, I was playing vinyl and the vinyl was available to everybody. Now, some people played a little bit of vinyl. Some people played a lot. Some people played none. It kind of depended on what your uh, interests were as far as the particular artists that we had. And also how ambitious you wanted to be like, look, the truth is a CD was easy. You pop it in, you, pl- you press mm-hmm. play, you're done. With a vinyl record, you have to queue it up and it's, it's a little bit more involved. So you had to put in more effort. If you weren't feeling like putting in the effort that day, then you might just stick to the CDs. So it really depended on who was on the air at the time. But it, me in particular, if you were listening to my show, you were going to hear mostly vinyl. Hmm. So would you put in a fair amount of prep time, pull in records beforehand, or was it kind of, I, I think I know where I'm going. I'm just going to grab these things and go. Yeah, I think that was, that was largely what it was. Like I might even have in my head on the way to the station, which artists I felt like playing that day. And so I, I might even write like a little note, like, all right, here's what I want. And then as I went along, you know, when one song was playing, I might start grabbing other records and such, or I might even get there a few minutes early and just pull a few to start with and then see where I went. And that was sometimes I would pull a bunch of records and I wouldn't use them all, but I'd rather, right. the old saying is you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And that's kind of how I felt with it. So uh, that was really what I would do in terms of, Uh, prep it was more a matter of like okay in my head i know which artists i want to play or which albums i want to go to and then i would kind of figure out the tracks and all that but i would pull a bunch of the vinyl records and then whatever i got to i got to and whatever i didn't you know might be the next week or something Hmm. Hmm. cool thank you for sharing that um i wanted to get back a little bit to the more social aspect or, or the people that you worked with. You mentioned Brian and, and the rock program and you mentioned Bruce, who else was around uh, the station when you were getting started uh, at WRHU? Who, who else were you listening to or, or watching or hanging out with? Well, I became friendly with a couple of people I still talk to. Um, Paul Spagna 
uh, who at the time he was doing metal and he always teased me because I we would talk metal all the time and he's like why don't you do the aggressive edge and I just said well first of all I got the rock stuff going on and second of all honestly like there's a lot of metal that I like and a lot of metal that I really don't like because I'm not a fan of the like I like clean vocals and you would hear a lot of that on the aggressive edge and so Paul and I became friends we're still friends to this day we talk music we'll go sometimes to concerts we we've gone and seen bands like acdc and uh, megadeth and such uh andrew Cohn, who we refer to as rapping andy everybody knows <laughs> everybody knows andrew if you've ever been through the doors at wrhu he's mr wrhu to this day he knows everybody he, he, no matter what year you were at wrhu andrew knows you so I actually just saw him. We went to see Metallica over at MetLife Stadium. So nice. uh, I became friends with him. Uh, we actually had a class together too, which was funny. I didn't realize it at the time. And then uh, I saw him at at, uh, at the station. I go, hey, aren't you in my English class? Um, my friend John Savali, who I still talk to to this day, he was doing the morning show, I think. But I think we became friends in one of our classes. And then we would hang out uh, in meetings you know, when we would have the, the station meetings and such. Uh, so those are a couple of the people that stand out to me. Um, and the, those are people that I still uh, talk to. Ralph Benarchek, who I still talk to as well. He was a sports guy and I think later became sports director. I think he does play-by-play for, I forget who he does play-by-play for now, but he he's a good dude and, and I still talk to him uh, a lot about a, a, a via text and stuff we keep in touch. So those are the people that stand out to me just off the top of my head as far as who I was friendly with and, and who I, I sort of forged bonds with early on. Hmm. Um, obviously you have these friendships that have, have lasted for a long time and you have the experience of being at Hofstra radio, but I'm going to ask you to kind of go back in your memory to being, you know, 18, 19 years old and joining the station. And if you could at that moment, what were you hoping Hofstra radio would be and what did it become for you? I mean, I honestly, I, th- I was hoping it would be a launching pad to a career in broadcasting. I just, I want to continue doing radio. My plan was as soon as I graduated college, I wanted to go be on the air somewhere. Uh, that was always what I'd wanted to do since I was a little kid. And so that was what I kept in mind. I would have fun and then I would try and hone my, my skills on air. And then I would say that what it became for me was really, I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, exactly what I just described, but also it was a, a good place to, uh, I guess, create, like we talked about a second ago, some long lasting friendships and, and forge some bonds and, and also to kind of get an idea of what the, uh, top of the line, equi- working with top of the line equipment and studios and learning how to, um, to do a variety of different things I, I hadn't done before. So like even doing production and things like that is that that's not something I'd really done in high school. So to be able to do a little bit of that in college and then eventually that was what I became uh, when I got into radio as I did production and on air. So that a, a lot of that, I guess um, it's funny too, because you're just talking about the equipment learning how to use all that you go to you know professional radio station i've worked at several of them and to be honest wrhu had nicer facilities than pretty much all of them and if you Mm -hmm. talk to people that have been in radio and have been at wrhu many of them will tell you the same exact thing 
so it, it's it's really kind of funny that you're, you're there and you're saying, oh, this is cool. But when I get to this professional radio station and you get to the professional radio station and you're like, wow, WRHU is so much nicer. <laughs> um, well, and it's quite a journey for you too, for starting in high school and then going to WRHU and then uh, continuing on your career. You've seen, you've seen a lot of different aspects of things. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's fun. I mean, <laughs> that's the one thing too, about WRHU. Yeah. There were some headaches here and there as far as like, you had to go to meetings if you were on, you know, when I was the rock producer, but it, if let's say I wasn't, let's say I was just doing the on air thing. It's just two hours a week of me talking and having fun playing records. Right. And so that's kind of when they would do those alumni shows. I remember Andrew Cohn and I would sometimes go back this is when I was living close by. I don't anymore. But when I lived close by the station, we'd go back and do a show. And it was cool because Bruce would let us do whatever we wanted. And working in commercial radio, that's not how it works. You, wow. Everything is very tightly formatted, tightly regulated and all that. I couldn't just take whatever songs I wanted, albums I wanted and, and put them on the air. But I was able to do that at WRHU. And so that creative freedom, uh, it was was really, um, really awesome. And, and like you said, it was a, a fun part of the journey. Hmm. Well, I feel like we've just scratched the surface of your stories. I have, uh, some more questions and hopefully you have some more short uh, stories to share and we can do this again sometime. Yeah. Anytime, man, this was a blast. I always like talking about a variety of different uh, subjects when it comes to radio and, and certainly WRHU. So it was a pleasure and anytime you want to talk again, you just let me know. We'll do part two. <laughs>